This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're wrapping up our summer message series that we've called Inheritance, the Stories that Shape Us. We're going to do that today by looking at the story of Esther and talk about the inheritance of action that she left for us. Uh, It seemed like on Back to School Sunday, it was an appropriate day to talk about action. It's a a season that that brings action whether we want it or not. If you're a, a teacher, an administrator, working in schools, your life changes dramatically from summer to school year. If you're a student, your life changes. I know some students get really, really excited, so happy. Any students that are just super happy to go back to school, like you've been waiting all summer for it? No? Man. All right. I I feel your pain. I cried the night before school every year through eighth grade. So I wouldn't have admitted that then, but I have no problem now. Uh, But but it's just that time of year where things change. Parents, uh, there might be some tears for different reasons. Uh, you know, some of sorrow, I can't believe my kid's going. Some of joy, if I can't believe my kid's going. And uh, regardless of how you feel, it's just a time where things change and, and you have to adjust to it. And so today what we're going to see in the story of Esther is that God also calls us to a path of action. That when we encounter life with Jesus, it's never a life where we just sit back and keep doing the same old things that we've always done the same ways. But he always speaks to us in each season about new things that he has for us to do. And we have to overcome some obstacles to do that. And then we have to embrace and take action in the spaces where he's calling us to. So if you have a Bible, we'll be in the book of Esther this morning. It's a long story that we don't have time for. We're going to focus most of our attention today in Esther chapter 4. But instead of me summarizing for you the story of Esther, the the folks at the Bible Project do a great job of providing uh, videos that, that summarize the the different books of the Bible. You can check them out at just Google Bible Project on YouTube, and you'll see all the different versions. But this morning, we're going to take about the next three and a half, four minutes, and just see their summary of Esther's story, and then we're going to jump into it together. The book of Esther, it's one of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. The main characters in this story are two Jews, Mordecai and then his niece Esther. And then there's the king of Persia, who's something of a drunken pushover in this story. And then there's the Persian official Haman, the cunning villain. Now, this is a curious book in the Bible, mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once, which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work but behind the scenes. Let's just dive into the story. The book opens with the king of Persia throwing two elaborate banquet feasts that last a total of 187 days. And it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. 
On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. She refuses, and so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Now right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. We're next introduced to Haman, who's not actually a Persian. He's called an Agagite. He's a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 15. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom, and he demands that everybody kneel before Haman. Well, when Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to kneel, which of course fills Haman with rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, Haman successfully persuades the king to enact this crazy decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. And to decide the date of the Jews' annihilation, Haman rolls the dice. A die is called pur in Hebrew. Tuck that away for later. Eleven months later, on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews will die. Haman and the king then have a drinking banquet to celebrate their really horrible decision. So the focus now turns to Mordecai and Esther, who are the only hope for the Jewish people. They make a plan that Esther is going to reveal her Jewish identity to the king and ask him to reverse the decree. But approaching the king without a royal request is, according to Persian law, an act worthy of death. So in a key statement, Mordecai, he's confident that even if Esther remains silent, that deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. And then Mordecai wonders aloud. He says, who knows? Maybe you've become queen for this very moment. Esther responds with bravery, and she purposes to go to the king with her amazing words, if I perish, I perish. All right, so um, a little better than just me telling you, hopefully. Um, but uh, it's, it's a great story. I know some of you are probably familiar with it. You've heard it, um, and, and uh, we're just going to kind of jump into it today and see how Esther's got some obstacles in her life that should prevent her from taking action as God calls her to. She has to overcome those, and then she has to be confident that God actually has placed her at that time in that moment for that specific purpose. Um, and so just kind of a, a word of warning to you, I think over my nine years or so at Christian Chapel. This is, I think, the third time that I've preached from the story of Esther. The previous two times, uh, in both instances, there have been a couple people who've come up to me and told me, thank you for ruining the story of Esther for me. Because here's, here's what's going to happen this morning. You most likely are familiar with the Disney-fied version of Esther's story, right? Where Esther, you even heard just a hint of it in that video of Esther wins a beauty pageant. And she goes from the peasant girl to the wonderful queen. And, and that's a, a little true. And yet there's some elements of Esther's story that are actually fairly dark. And if you really stop and think about it, pretty depressing. And by the end of the day, you're probably going to arrive at the point of thinking, I'm glad I'm not Esther. And I don't want to be Esther. 
And I don't want my daughter to grow up to be Esther. And I don't want anyone I know to be Esther because Esther's life was hard. And we kind of gloss over a lot of those details so we can hurry up and run to the point of, you were made for such a time as this, so go out and do the things that God has called you to do. And that's great, and that's actually where we're going to end this morning. But before we do, we need to think about Esther's past and what it actually meant. Esther had all kinds of reasons that she should have resisted the opportunity to be used by God to save the Jewish people. Right? Her, her life had been hard, and now she's being asked to do something even more difficult. In the, the opening chapters of Esther, we learn that she was an orphan. Both of her parents had died. Now, now this in itself is, is traumatic, is difficult, is heartbreaking. If you, I know some of you in the room, you've been through those moments where as a, a child or as a teenager, you lost your mom or you lost your dad. Some of you might have lost both of them. Sometimes it was through death. Sometimes it was through their own choices where maybe they went to prison or they abandoned the family. But, but at some level, there are those of us who know what it is for our parents to leave and us to be in that orphan-type position. And for Esther, you, you have to imagine it would have hit her the same way that it still hits people today. If when mom and dad aren't around anymore, it's going to make you question God's love and concern for your life. It's going to make you doubt that he really cares about you. As you look at the world around you and you see your friends at school or your friends at work and the relationships they have with their mom and the relationships they have with their dad and the fun things that they do as a family, it opens a door to pain and anger and hurt in your own life where you think, why not me? Why can't I have that? Why can't I enjoy that? And, and we have to imagine Esther would have went through all of these emotions and more. Esther winds up being adopted by her uncle Mordecai. We're not told if it's on her dad's side or her mom's side, simply that she had a relative who took her in. Now, now even Mordecai, when he takes her in, he welcomes Esther into a position uh, that, that's not really that great for her. So as you saw in the video, Esther and Mordecai, they are Jews living in Persia. So they are part of the people who've been exiled out of Jerusalem, out of Judah, very similar to the, the setting that we talked about last week with Nehemiah. They are God's chosen people living outside of the promised land. But for Mordecai and Esther, there's an extra element that's worth our attention this morning. They are Jews who have chosen to remain in Persia after others have returned back to Jerusalem, to Judah, and to the promised land. So what does that mean for us? It means that, that Mordecai and Esther were in a place where they were constantly wondering, have we been disobedient to God's will for our life? We had an opportunity to return, but we chose to stay here. Mordecai and Esther, and probably more Mordecai than Esther because of her situation, it seems have chosen the comfort of Persia over the potential affliction of returning to Jerusalem. And so now they live as foreigners, as exiles, while they have an opportunity to go back. And they would have lived with this constant question, will God still provide for us even as we resist going back to the land he created for us? And so they would have heard the stories of the Old Testament. They would have heard about his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, heard the stories of Moses and Joshua, and they would have wondered again and again and again, are those stories still our story? Or have our choices made us exempt from them? Are we now living outside of God, God's promises and outside of God's plans? In the, the same way for, for some of us, there may have been moments and seasons, or maybe right now, where you're starting to wonder, have choices in my past permanently removed me from God's promises? 
Does he even have a plan for me anymore? Does he even want me to participate with him? Or have my decisions separated me from him? And do I now live as an exile outside of the people of God and the promises of God are no longer available to me? And then the, the last part of Esther's story that we have to consider this morning is, the, as it was described earlier, the, the beauty pageant. The beauty pageant wasn't really a beauty pageant. King Xerxes wasn't a, a well-known, beloved, benevolent king. As he was described here, he's a, he's a drunk, right? and, and he just makes choices based off of his own pleasure. He throws a big party for his friends. They're all trashed, and he wants his wife, Queen Vashti, to come out and parade herself before them. When she refuses, he deposes her, and then he tells his officials, gather all the young women, get the, the prettiest, the most attractive ones, bring them to the capital, have them spend a year receiving beauty treatment so they are appropriately uh, prepared to be in my presence, and then bring them to me. And I will spend one night with each one of them. And then at the end of the process, I will choose the one I want. And the ones that I don't choose, they'll live as my concubines, kind of here in the harem forever. Now, when we, when we start to put it in these terms, we begin to understand that Esther's story is not some romantic love story, right? It, this is not Jasmine and Aladdin, right? This is not Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Cinderella, or any other princess that you can think of. This is the story of a powerless young woman being told by her uncle, you're going to go participate in this. Good luck. This is the rest of your life. The worst case scenario for Esther is she'll be rejected by the king and she'll live a life of isolation as one of his concubines. The best case scenario is she'll be selected as queen and she'll live a life of isolation while he still has this army of concubines. This is not the story of two souls just being, being bound together by God's love and God's providence. This is the story of a wicked and evil king happily ripping young women out of their homes for his own pleasure and discarding them as he sees fit. In fact, over the centuries, Jewish rabbis have argued repeatedly that it's possible Mordecai acted, uh, acted immorally towards Esther. That his job as her protector in this situation should have been to flee the kingdom or to lay down his life to keep her from being presented in this debacle. And yet none of that happens. Esther, the orphan, is once again taken out of her home, once again removed from the only family that she has. She's placed into this horrible contest where there really are no winners except for the king. And in all of this, even as you read Esther's story, it seems that God is absent. He's not named. Nobody prays. Nobody asks his advice. Nobody turns to the scriptures. And yet what we see in Esther's story is no matter how deep and troubled our past might be, no matter how severe the trauma is that we've been through, in the moments where we didn't see God or hear God, he was always present. He was always active. And where you are today is it's not, there's this, always this really delicate balance we're trying to figure out of, did God cause this in my life or did God just allow this in my life? Is this a result of his direct and sovereign will directing the course of, of affairs in my life? Or is this a result of me living in a world that's broken by sin and me being affected by the sinful choices of others, the sin in the culture around me? And, and honestly, a lot of times we never really get a good answer to those questions. But what Esther's story teaches us is your past can never disqualify you from God's present and from God's future. He knows everywhere you've been. 
He knows everything you've done. He knows everything that's been done to you. He knows the deepest hurts in your heart that you've never voiced to anyone. He knows the traumas that you're afraid other people will find out about. He knows that the ways that you have been afflicted by the wicked systems and culture and people around you. He knows the times when you have done that to others. And in all of these spaces, God was always there. He always saw all of it. He was always at work in it, protecting and preserving you so that at this time and in this place, you could hear the news that God sees you, knows you, loves you, and has a plan for you. And so this morning, if you're here and you think, I I would love to follow God's plan for my life. I would love to have a brighter future. I would love to have hope for tomorrow. If you're a student and you're thinking, I would love for this year to finally be different than all the years that have gone before it. The good news is it can be. God has a plan for you. And when he begins to speak that plan to you, one of the first things the enemy is going to do is come and tell you you're disqualified from it because of your past. But Esther's story is an encouragement to us that when God speaks, he speaks to us knowing everything we've ever done and everything that's ever been done to us. And he's not choosing you because somehow he thinks he's going to separate you from everything that's ever happened. You're never going to think about it again. He's choosing you often because those things, even those painful things, have prepared you for what he has for you to do in this season and at this time. So you might look and think there is nothing in my past that God could use. And Esther would have been in the same boat. She looked back and thought, I'm an orphan. I'm I'm an unfaithful Jewish person living outside of the promised land. I'm being subjected to this king. I'm in, in marrying him. I'm breaking the commands of God to not be joined together with these other people. And, and yet in all of that, God was at work and God was moving. Now for Esther, there's probably a lot of times where she wonders, does any of this make sense? And, and for Mordecai, it's probably a, a chance as well that he has some of those same questions. And yet when Mordecai hears about Haman's plot to destroy all of the Jews, in a moment, everything makes sense to him. Of clearly, this is why God allowed this. This is why God allowed Esther to come into my care. This is why God had us stay in Persia. This is why God allowed Esther to rise to the throne, to protect and preserve her people at this moment. And so for Mordecai, while he sees a very real threat, he sees an even greater opportunity. And the opportunity's name is Esther. And so he sends word to Esther of what's going to happen, and he tells her what she needs to do. She needs to go to the king to intervene on behalf of her people. And Esther's response is is very, very honest and very understandable. We read it in Esther chapter 4, verse 11. Esther tells Mordecai, Any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends a gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So, so a couple things to notice here. First of all, when God calls you to act, your past can't stop you. And then we also see risk can't stop you. Esther tells us a, a couple things that give us some insight into her marriage. Uh, so, so in case we're still wondering, Esther doesn't have a modern marriage. Esther doesn't have a fairy tale marriage. Right? I don't know how many of you are, are married in the room, but if you've ever adopted a practice of like, you know what, I, uh, I send my wife away and I don't talk to her for 30 days at a time. I'm going to guess you're not going to be married very long, right? Like, that's just not, I've read a lot of marriage books over the years. I've never read that tip 
It's never been in any of them. None of them have ever said live separately. None of them ever say only sin for her when you want to see her. It just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't go that way. On top of that, Esther tells Mordecai, like, yeah, I'm the queen, but I'm still in a subservient role. I can't just waltz into the king's presence whenever I want. In fact, if I do that and he doesn't want to see me, the penalty is death. And so Esther lives with an awareness of her role in this relationship. She lives hearing the constant story of Queen Vashti, the last queen who opposed King Xerxes, who now lives a life of complete and total isolation, who's been stripped of every privilege that was once hers. And so when Mordecai sees an opportunity, Esther sees a massive risk. She's being asked to put her life on the line. She's being asked to put her title on the line. She's being asked to put her comfort on the line. She's being asked to put her security on the line, all without any promises that what Mordecai hopes will actually come true. For us, when God shows up in our lives and begins to speak to us and begins to call us, he, the path of action normally involves some form of risk, at least from our perspective. Right, and, and here's, I think, something that's important for us to understand this morning. What we call risk, God calls obedience. Right, for, for, from God's perspective, there is no risk for Esther to follow his path and to follow his plan. Because he knows how it's going to turn out. He knows how he's going to work through the situation. He knows how he's going to deal with Haman. He knows how he's going to provide for the Jews. He knows how he's going to speak through Mordecai to give him wisdom to share with Esther. God knows it all. He sees the beginning all the way through to the end. But Esther only sees the beginning and she sees possible endings that are not in her favor. For you and I, when God calls us to act, when he calls you to try something new, when he calls you to step into a new space, that first step of obedience often feels risky because you don't know how it's going to end. When God calls you to make the call, you don't know how it's going to be received. When God calls you to send the text, you don't know if you're going to be left on red for the rest of your life. Right? When God calls you to enroll in the university, you don't know if you're going to graduate. When God calls you to propose, you don't know if she's going to say yes, and you probably don't know that it's going to last forever. When God calls you to engage in something like foster care, you don't know how it's going to turn out. When God calls you to give an extravagant and generous gift, you don't know how that's going to go. When God calls you to start a business, to send out a resume, to try to have children, to do a thousand other things, you never know exactly how it's all going to go. And from our end, that seems risky. And most of us are risk averse. And even those of us who say we really like taking risks, if we're really honest, the risks we like to take are the ones we know are going to turn out in our favor, right? I mean, or, or the ones that we know like, well, there's a very small penalty for failure. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a risk as long as nobody knows if it doesn't turn out. I'll take a risk as long as it doesn't really affect me in my, my career or financially, I'll take a risk as long as everyone in the world agrees that this is a reasonable risk that we should all take at the same time, right? And, and so, so we kind of, we tend to back off. And yet, from a Christian perspective, when God calls us to act, we are not risking, we're obeying. We're just walking in the path that he has for us. We're trusting that he sees the beginning all the way through to the end. We're trusting in his goodness. We're trusting in his kindness. We're trusting that he is there and he's working in spaces and places that we don't see and we wouldn't even understand if we could. 
And so, yeah, there's going to be risk involved, and yet as a follower of Christ, when we are sure and certain, when God's path has been revealed in the Scriptures, when it's been confirmed by the Holy Spirit, when it's been affirmed by the community of saints He's placed me in, when it's very clear this is where God is calling me, then it's not a risky choice anymore. It's just the next logical step in your journey. And so you take that step of faith, and what you find is in that step of faith, you receive gifts of faith. You receive the ability to continue to believe. Some of you this morning, you have taken those first steps and and you're in a season where you're wondering, are we on the right path? Well, if that path has been confirmed by the scriptures, if other believers are telling you, yes, you made the right choice, if, if you have the Holy Spirit assuring you, this is the way, keep walking in it, then you can be confident that not only is God going to provide for you to get to the end, but God is going to give you gifts of faith all along the way. And so the risk isn't risky. The risk is just obedience. And then as you keep reading Esther's story, you you get her response back to Mordecai of, hey, I don't know if I should. It's pretty risky. I'm risking death. Remember what happened to Queen Vashti? Mordecai's response to her is, uh, I mean, it shows that maybe Mordecai never raised kids of his own, right? Uh, Or maybe he did, but they were just the tough love household. I, I don't know. But Mordecai, there's not a lot of compassion. There's not a lot of kindness. Esther says, hey, I might die. And Mordecai in Esther 4 verse 14 says, if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked someone for advice when you're facing a a risky decision, where you feel deeply that that there's there's a a chance this isn't going to turn out well. And their response is basically, shut up and do it, or you might die. It's it's not really inspiring confidence, and and yet if we stop and really examine what Mordecai is telling Esther, what he's telling her is you can be confident as you step forward in action. The the first thing he tells her is that God's going to achieve his deliverance. And so he's trying to put Esther's heart at ease, and he puts our hearts at ease as well, that when God calls me to do something, when he calls me to be part of advancing his kingdom, when he calls me to make a generous gift to support a missionary, when he calls me to begin to pray in new areas, when he calls me to step into a new relationship, when he calls me to take advantage of a new opportunity, when he calls me to confront a certain problem, sometimes we face this pressure of, well, if I do that, then it's all on me to make it work. But what Mordecai is telling Esther is, look, God already has a plan for the salvation of his people. Because God had made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had made promises to Moses and to Joshua. God had made promises to David and to Solomon. And Esther and the Jewish people were recipients of promises that existed long before them. So Mordecai is just reminding her, listen, we're just playing our little part in this point of God's story. Our job is just to do what he says. God will achieve his deliverance, whether it's through you or someone else. And so, so the, the encouragement to you and I today is, hey, what God has called you to do, he wants you to do. He'll equip you to do. He'll enable you to do it. Uh, but your disobedience is not going to destroy his kingdom. Right? I, I mean, there was one Savior who died for the world, and it wasn't me, and it wasn't you. And so if, if I disobey the things the Lord has told me to do, the whole world is not going to fall apart. If I won't confront the problems he's called me to confront, God's going to send someone else to do it. If I won't make the gift that God is calling me to give, he'll enable someone else to do it. If I won't pray the prayers that God is calling me to pray, he'll inspire someone else to do it. 
If I won't step into roles of leadership that God is calling me to step into, he'll equip and elevate someone else to do it. If I won't stay in the relationships and have the influence that God is calling me to do, he'll bring someone else to do it. If I'm unwilling to be a pillar in my community, in my neighborhood, at work, at school, he'll bring someone else along who will. Why? Because his purposes are greater than my disobedience. We see this again and again and again in the scriptures. And for some of us, this, this might hit us kind of funny because maybe, maybe you grew up like I did, believing this, that, that kind of everything wrote on you. Like, I, I know the kingdom has advanced, and I know the church has existed for 2,000 years, but man, buddy, if you don't get it right, this whole thing's going to fall apart, and it'll be your fault. All right, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Unless you're disobedient, then they might. We don't know. You better come to this altar and pray. You better, you know, and, and so there's kind of that, that feeling that some of us bought into. Maybe it was taught to you. Maybe you just have that, that kind of guilt-laden conscience all the time. Whatever it is. But, but what Mordecai is telling Esther is, listen, hey, God's deliverance is coming. Whether it's through you or through someone else. And, and then he gives her this warning. And he says, but you and your father's family will perish. Now, there, there are a couple ways that that, that line is interpreted. Um, the first is it's interpreted as a direct threat to Esther of Mordecai telling her, uh, if you don't intervene, I'll kill you. I don't know, right? I mean, I don't know what kind of uncle Mordecai is. I would like to think when I read this story that God didn't surround Esther with just terrible men everywhere. That it's not like King Xerxes here and Mordecai threatening to kill me here and where do I go? Like, I, I mean, I, I would like to think Mordecai's, it, it's more along the lines of like, hey, Esther. God has a path of life, and he has a path of deliverance. And he's positioned you in a place where you can be a part of it. Now, if you choose not to, you're choosing to reject the path of life and the path of deliverance, and you're choosing instead to live in the place of death. You're choosing instead to embrace the comfort of Persia at the expense of the salvation of your people. And if you make that choice, God is still going to save his people. But as for you, you will choose the place of death, and you will separate yourself from God and from his plan. And we, when we understand it in that way, I think it, it presents us with a, a really important thing for us to evaluate of, of sometimes the, the things that we are most likely to protect can easily become our prison. Right? When God calls you to act, but there's, maybe there's a relationship Maybe there's a job, maybe it's a, a certain financial standing, maybe it's living in a certain home, maybe it's a, a certain friend group, maybe it's a certain part of the world, who knows what it is. But when God calls you to act, and part of following him in obedience involves giving up whatever this is, if you refuse to do that, you're refusing to walk on the path of life, and by doing so, you're staying in the place of death. And the things that you fought to protect will eventually become the prison that holds you captive. You'll grow in your resentment towards them. You'll grow in your anger towards them. You'll be increasingly dissatisfied. Why? Because you chose to worship things that cannot hold the weight of your worship. This is what Mordecai is telling Esther. He's saying, look, there's a path that leads to life and God wants you to be a part of it. But if you don't, you'll perish. We don't know if he means her physical death, that she'll be found out and killed with the other Jews. We don't know if he means her spiritual death, that in doing so, she is essentially choosing to remove herself from Israel on a permanent basis and identify with the kingdom of Persia. What we know for sure is that when God speaks to us, it is always calling us onto a path of life. 
And the scriptures are clear. Jesus makes it clear. We have two choices in every season and situation all through our lives. We can follow him on the path of life, or we can follow ourselves and the enemy on the path of death. There are no other options. When God speaks, we obey or we disobey. This is a choice that Mordecai is presenting to Esther, and it's a choice that's being presented to you and I today in areas of your life where God is saying, I want you to act, I want you to move, I want you to change, I want you to do this differently. Your choice is to obey or to disobey. And if you choose the path of disobedience, it's not as if in that moment God turns to you in his anger and pours his judgment out on you. But what happens is when I choose the path of disobedience, I reap the rewards of disobedience. When I choose to not continue walking with God and choose to live as my own king and Lord, I reap the rewards of those choices. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't forgive. It doesn't mean he won't give second chances. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means as long as I stay in disobedience, I remain in the place of death. I remain in the place where God is not speaking, where God is not calling, where God is not providing, not because he doesn't want to, but because I have not allowed him to with my choices. So Mordecai just makes it clear to Esther, you have two options. You can be part of God's deliverance, or you can work against God's deliverance. And for us this morning, again, I, I, don't, I don't have the, the insight and definitely don't have the time to articulate the particular season and situation that each one of us are facing. But I know for many of us today, God is calling us on a path of action and we're evaluating if we're going to obey or not. And we might have all other kinds of fancier language where we try to soften the edges around that. But at its core, when God speaks, we make a decision to obey or to disobey. There is no middle ground. There is no compromise. There is no negotiation. And so Esther has to make this decision of, okay, I'll just, I'll move forward. And, and for some of us in the room, you've been in that space where God spoke, where it was clear you had to act and you were able to move forward in confidence because you knew the God who's calling me is a God who will provide for me. Because you understood, hey, I will, I'll pack up the family and we'll make the move. You understood, I'll change the major or transfer colleges. You understood, I will break up and end this relationship that's not pleasing to the Lord. You understood, I will make this sacrificial gift. You understood, I will adopt a lifestyle of prayer. And as you took what seemed to be a risky choice, God provided and on the path of obedience, you experienced his blessing. You experienced his provision. And, and for some of you this morning, you're right in the middle of it, and you're wondering if you're doing the right thing. And I just want to encourage you, keep trusting him. Keep obeying him. The God who called you is the God who will provide for you. The God who brought you this far is the God who will lead you the rest of the way. The God who directed you to these decisions is the God who will work through those decisions. The God who brought you together as husband and wife is the God who will keep you together as husband and wife. The God who chose you as a foster parent is the God who will empower you as a foster parent. The Lord who gave you those children is the one who gives you wisdom to lead those children. The one who gave you the job is the one who works through the job. The one who puts you in the position of leadership is the one who will equip you in that position of leadership. Wherever you are, if you are walking the path of obedience, God is with you. God is for you. God is working through every moment, whether you see it or not. 
And again, we don't, we don't have time to get into Esther's story, but you can read it later. God works in incredible ways for her. He overthrows not only Haman's plot to destroy the Jews, but he brings incredible blessing to the Jewish people in the process. He blesses Mordecai. He blesses Esther. He, he enables King Xerxes to get a bigger view of who God is. It's this incredible story of God's providence. But before we get there, Mordecai gives Esther one final encouragement. It's probably the most famous line in the story of Esther. Esther chapter 4, verse 14, the second part, Mordecai tells Esther, Who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai looks at Esther's life, and he sees the sovereign hand of God at work. And his conclusion is now it's time for Esther to go to work. Mordecai looks and can say, Esther, look at everything the Lord did. When your parents died, it was tragic and it was horrible and nobody wanted it. And yet God worked through that terrible situation to bring you under my care. And you and I, as we lived in Persia, and we wondered if God's promises were still for us. And then you entered into this horrible process. And I'm still not sure if that was the right thing or not. And Esther, God worked through all of that. And now he's brought you to this time. And this place, for such a time, is this. And it's a, a wonderful reminder to us that God knows who we are. God knows where we are. And God also knows when we are. And he knows the exact moment of every day of your life. He knows the exact situation that you're going to be facing at 1142 on Tuesday morning. He knows what you're going to be doing Friday evening. He knows the opportunities that are going to come your way in two weeks. He knows the heartaches that may come your way in three weeks. And in all these seasons and in all these situations, the story of Esther reminds us we have an inheritance of action to trust God and move forward whatever we're facing because we know I was made for this moment. You were made for this moment in your life. And, and so you might feel overwhelmed. You might feel ill-prepared. You might feel unequipped. You might think, I didn't see this coming. But Esther's story is reminding us God saw it all. He knows it all. And he has a plan for it all. And not just in a big generic sense, but in a very personal and practical way, God has plans for the moments you are facing right here and right now. And that should bring comfort to our hearts. And we still might have the questions of, well, did God cause this or is he just working through this? And, and I'd say, hey, explore that to the best of your ability. But at the end of the day, you have to settle in the place of, I may never know, but God does. And it's time for me to go to work. It's time for me to do my job. It's time for me to take my next step of action. It's time for me to understand that when God calls me to act, it's not risk, it's just obedience. So I can confidently move forward knowing that I was made for this moment. Now, it's easy for me to tell you that, uh, but I can also tell you I've been on the, the receiving end of that advice at times, and I haven't always appreciated it. I remember a couple years ago, I was going through some, some difficult seasons. It was one of those moments, and, and maybe you've had them in life where, you know, you've got some problems over here, and then you've got problems over here, and then problems come from back here, and, and they're all just hitting at the same time. And there was, a, some of you know, one of our missionaries that we support, his name is Larry Smith. And so Larry and his wife, Sharon, they've been missionaries for, I think, close to 40 years. Um, I knew Larry and Sharon when I was growing up in Kansas. The churches that, that I was a part of were, were supporters of them. So I, I've literally known Larry my entire life that I can remember. 
And uh, Larry was staying in our missionary in residence house when I was going through this, this kind of time in my life. And he came over into my office one day and, and he said, hey, Chris, I heard it's been hard. Just let me, let me hear how it's going. Well, I thought, this is great. I, this, Larry's a safe space. And so I, I just poured it out all on him. Like this, I've got this problem here and this problem there. And they won't listen. They won't do that. And, they, and I just, I let him, I let him have it. And, and I anticipated because Larry's about my dad's age. Uh, but he's not my dad. I thought he'd have some really kind fatherly advice. Because I'd already had the advice from my dad. of like, that's fine, get to work. Um, I didn't want that. I wanted some advice of like, Chris, you know what? Your life is harder than anyone since Job. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. I mean, nothing big. Just like, yeah, you know, Chris, I, I've seen pastors all over the country, and you probably do have the most difficult season and situation right now, and it's a miracle you're still here, right? I, I was just looking for a little, like, just build me up, and, and so, but Larry didn't do that. Larry listened, and then he basically paraphrased Esther 4.14 to me, and he, he listened to my whole story, and he said, Chris, that's bad. God knew it would be bad, and he made you the leader, so go to work. And he left my office. That was it. That was the whole advice. What was he saying? He's saying, hey, God made you for this moment. So go to work. Like you can sit in self-pity and you can sit and whine and you can sit and cry and you can sit and complain and you can sit with all your why me's and why nots and how comes, or you can just decide I may never know, but God knows and he put me here so I can go to work. And I would tell you the same thing in your seasons and situations. And, and I, I mean, we want to say it delicately and we want, to, we want to value your suffering and we want to understand the pain that you're going through. And yet at the end of the day, you may never have all the answers you want, but you can know God is active and God has a plan. And now you have to go to work. We have an inheritance of action. Esther takes action, and she's part of saving the Jewish people. Throughout the scriptures, we see God speaks to men and women who come from broken systems and broken situations, and they take action, and they're part of his kingdom. And today, that continues. God sees you, God speaks to you, and you take action. So as we, as we go back to school, I think it's a wonderful reminder to us that you were made for this moment. To our students, whether you are junior high, high school, college, going to grad school, God made you for this school year. And I remember some of those classes, I, would, I was convinced God had actually not made me for those classes, right? That he, he was only there trying to build my character through suffering. But whatever it is, God made you for that space. He made you for those teams. He made you for those clubs. He made you to live in that dorm. He made you to have that teacher. He made you to be in these moments. If you're an educator, God made you for this school year. He made you for every headache, hassle, and heartache that you're going to encounter. He made you to walk in by the power of your spirit. If you're a public school administrator, teacher, support staff, God made you to serve in that space where you're not able to share your faith exactly the way you want to all the time. But his spirit's going to empower you to speak his words in his way to build his kingdom. As you begin to face problems, as you face difficulties, as you walk into a classroom or an office each day, carrying the weight of your personal life and encountering the needs of your students, God made you to be a source of light in that place. For that difficult parent who has already started emailing you this school year, God made you for them. He made you to be a source of wisdom and encouragement. He made you to be the one who knows how to hold your tongue. He made you for that space and for this person. 
and to our parents as you're launching your kids off. Some of you, you're, you're sending them off to pre-K for the first time. And they're 15 minutes late because you took so many pictures trying to get out the door. Right? And you drop them off and you, you drive away just crying of how did my baby get so big? Some of you, you're sending your, your first or your last off to their first full days of elementary school and you're wondering what the future has in store. For others, you're, you're launching them into the jungle of middle school this year. And you're thinking back to your own middle school years and thinking, Lord, help them. God, help them. Help them, help them, help them. Some of them, they're going off to high school. Some of them, I've heard there's some families with seniors this year and you cry at all your Facebook memories. Man, just they, they hit you in the heart. And some of you launched your kids off into college. Some of you, you're, you've sent them off to grad school across the country. But, but parents, you were made for this moment. God's going to equip you. He's going to be with you. He already has a plan for your kids and he's working that plan. And they're going to have difficulty. Right? You're, you're going to get some calls for parent-teacher conferences. Not every report card is going to be exactly what you wanted it to be. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs, and yet you're going to remember God has a purpose, God has a plan, and not only is he working in my kid's life, but he's working in my life to be part of his kingdom and his plan right now in theirs. And then there, there's so many of us that back to school is not even a thing anymore in our world, and yet we face our own problems, we have our own challenges, we have the own, our own course of action God is calling us to. My encouragement to each one of us today is we were made for this moment. God is here, God is working, God is active. He is speaking, leading, and guiding, and it's our job to act in obedience. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you. The band's going to lead us in a final song. Jesus, we come to you today. Lord, we pray, first of all, if there's anyone in the room or online with us who's never taken that first action of surrendering their life to you, will you help them to do so today? Will you help them, Lord, to ask you to forgive them of their sins and to take their place in your family as sons and daughters? And for the rest of us, Lord, you see the situations we're facing. You see the problems and opportunities we have. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit would come and remind us that we are made for this moment. You're equipping us, you're leading us, you're guiding us, and you are working through every single season and situation to accomplish your will. So Holy Spirit, will you fill our hearts with faith and courage to believe, to obey, and to act on the things you're speaking to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.